On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Hey, hey everybody, it's Jenny Anchondo here with a Second Shot Sit-Down that has been a little while in the making. So I wanted to tell you about Anthony, known as Tony Lopez. I was doing some work for Sarah International and um, gosh, they put together these incredible gatherings that have been online. They bring in great speakers to give presentations. And so I've talked to a lot of people through that. And Tony just struck a chord with me as somebody who could really speak to this second shot theme and kind of infuse some knowledge, some inspiration, some thought-provoking content into all of us. So he's the CEO of l Associates. He's the author of the Legacy Leader series of books. His career spans all, all kinds of different things. He has done it all. Welcome, Tony. Good to have you. Hey, Jenny, good to see you. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad that we get to connect in this platform. Like I said, after we did the the event with Sarah, I thought, okay, we've, we've got to have, you know, kind of a, a further, deeper conversation. But first, can you run down your career? People who are watching the video version will see uh, that fancy jacket in the background and wonder what that's about. So talk about that and then, and then uh, what happened afterward. Well, look, the fancy jacket is is kind of where the story began, right? The yeah. story began yeah. with uh, with uh, my dad having served in the Air Force uh, when he was a you know teenager, essentially, where he sort of got his trade as an aircraft mechanic, and that's what he did all of his life working for the airlines. And so that sort of instilled in me a desire to serve. So when I went to high school and then college, I uh, graduated with an electrical engineering undergraduate and at the same time was going through the Air Force program as a cadet and was commissioned as an Air Force officer when I graduated with that undergraduate degree and off I went into the Air Force and so what's hanging there is is my uniform which hung in my in my closet for many years after I was already out of the out of service um, and I just couldn't bring myself to Get it out of my closet. Eventually, my family put it in, in a in a in a box for me and said, "Here, hang it in your office." And I said, "Well, what did they need me again?" I said, "If they need, you, we're in big trouble." <laughs> <laughs> you break the glass, you get back in, and so then That's, what happened after that term of service, and 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 how did that sort of shape the rest of your career? It, it really did shape my career, and it really instilled in me not only a desire to serve, um, but but a desire to lead and to and to and to really study what leadership is about and to really. Uh, use that throughout my career. So I was fortunate enough to go work for a great company, Johnson & Johnson. And I spent 18 years after after serving as, a, as an Air Force captain, I, I started working for J&J back in 1991. And I spent 18 years with J&J, and it was a fabulous 18 years doing a number of different roles, all of them in healthcare, medical devices, and, and, and that segment. What did, you, what did you do? What was like one of your job titles? Oh my goodness, I had many. Uh, <laughs> I know. My, when I first started, I was I was in corporate engineering at Ethicon, Johnson & Johnson, the suture company. Then I became a computer integrated manufacturing director. 
Then I went on and became a business unit manager in, in operations and ran a, a business unit, a plant a manufacturing facility in Puerto Rico where I was raised uh, uh, until I was 15 or 16 years of age. Um, and ultimately got into more marketing and, and, and general management roles and ultimately was a vice president at, at J&J prior to then moving to a different company to, to lead uh, Care Fusion Respiratory Systems to lead the respiratory business. And, and since we went through the COVID year last year, we all learned all about respirators and, right. and, and how important they are. And the company that I ran was the, the company that makes many of the respirators that people benefit from uh, in, the, in the COVID year, obviously. So I did that for a couple of years as, a, as the general manager and vice president, senior vice president of that business in CareFusion. And then became the president of Ansel Healthcare in 2011. Ansel is a terrific company. I was with them for seven glorious, phenomenal years. I uh, enjoyed it tremendously. And Ansel is a world leader in, in hand protection and other safety devices. And I was the president of the medical uh, solutions business of, uh, of Ansel Healthcare until 2017. And then went off and been doing this sort of advisory roles and consulting work and board service and continuing to write and speak and, and here I am. So well, I'm curious to hear if there was a point, you've, you've had this in you, right? That were the author, the speaker, the sort of you know, uh, leadership trainer as you were going up through the ranks. But I imagine when you are, what was your position at Ansel? What was the, the official title? President. I okay. was the president. I want to make sure I'm like, I know he was running it. Is he right? Is he the president? Is he, what, what does he do? So he's the president. And was there a point where you thought, okay, I want to do these other projects, but this is a very full-time thing being the president of a company or how did that transition happen? Well, look, I mean, I was, I was, there were numerous, there was a four, pre, at one point there were four presidents of different divisions of Ansel Healthcare. We all, every president had, had one business unit or one division of the company. And we all reported to the CEO and the board of directors and so forth. But yes, I did run that that organization for you know have four thousand employees across the globe, and it was it was fantastic. And and full time, oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I was I, I joke about it now, but at, at one point I was traveling. I think for three consecutive years I exceeded, or more than actually for nearly five consecutive years I exceeded three hundred and fifty thousand air miles traveled each year. So, so from across the globe, <laughs> wow. right? So, so anybody who travels in business understands what that really means, right? Three hundred fifty thousand air miles—that's a lot. And uh, I was fortunate to live in in Belgium. The company moved me, and and I operated out of our headquarters in in uh, Brussels. And so I got to experience living outside of the country, and and it was just a phenomenal experience. But certainly very full time, right? And in fact. Uh, this idea of speaking and, and doing the consulting and the advisory roles has kind of always been a professional hobby of mine, um, but always, always informed by the experiences and by the opportunities that I received in the Air Force and Johnson & Johnson and Care Fusion and Ansel, meaning I was able to bring to the folks that I was advising or speaking to, and whether it was a keynote speech or, or speaking on something, I could speak from that level of experience, from having been there, done that kind of thing. And and that's always been a passion of mine, to be able to enable others on their leadership journey, on their personal journey, on their business journey, if you will. Um, but, uh, but now that I'm doing it more, I wouldn't say full time, because uh, I do dedicate a bit of my time also to being a grandpa oh, and, uh, wow. and other things. But uh, 
but it certainly continues to be a passion, an area that I certainly hope to be able to continue to contribute to the next generation of, of leaders. So let's talk about this this series of books, the Legacy Leader series of books. What what made you think, okay, because because I, I and, and if people are wondering why did you make him go through his whole resume, it's because I think it's important to establish, you know, a like a base for which you're writing the book, because the truth is that there, there's a huge space out there in the motivational space and the leadership space. And you know, some of those people have really, really done the thing like you have. And some of them are fresh out the gates. They said, the first thing I'm gonna do is write a book about leadership. So I wanted to kind of establish that, that you, you've been through this, you've led a lot, both with our country and then um, with these private companies like Johnson & Johnson, et cetera. So what made you decide to start the, the leadership series of books? Well, it, it was not an intentional decision. Uh, a couple of things I'll tell you. First, the series of books, uh, you know, sort of have come along over the past 20 years with my career. But it was never an intentional thing that I said, I'm going to set out to write books. I think what happened, I know what happened. The first, the first one, that, which is titled The Legacy Leader, Leadership with a Purpose, came about because at the time, that many years ago, 20 years ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and was dying of cancer, and I knew I was going to lose her to the mm -hmm. disease, which we which we did nearly now 20 years ago. So when when mom uh, was going through one of the one of the surgeries that she had to go through, I remember sitting in our hotel in our hotel in our hospital room with her, and and you know we're a Puerto Rican family, and my mom said to me, you know, I'm not happy with you, and, and when your when your mom your Puerto Rican mom mm -hmm. says yeah. she's not happy with you, you go. What do you mean? I mean, I've been a good boy. What are you talking about? And she goes, well, you, you've never published any of your work. And I said, and I quote, um, my, my, my work kind of sucks. And, um, and she said, and I quote, I have read worst. <laughs> and I thought about that. She goes, I want you to get it done. And now when your dying mom tells you, get it done, you get it done. And so I, I, I went ahead and started feverishly writing. And I said, well, I don't want to publish anything. She was really talking about some fictional work that I've written that I've never published. But she said, I said, if I'm going to publish anything, I would publish on leadership. Because I think I have something to say about it. She goes, I don't care if you publish a comic book. I want you to get it done. And so that, that, that really led me to, to write and very quickly get out into the, into the world the first book, which I was then able to dedicate to her and hand to her about six months before she died. So that was my sort of check, get it off the list. Mom said, get it done. We're good, we got it done. I didn't want to get into heaven and starting to complain that our son didn't <laughs> exactly. do what he was supposed to do. Um, so I never intended, and that book was really about my philosophy, my thinking, again, 20 years ago, right? So I have an evolution of my life and my experiences sure, over sure. the past three years. But until there, it was my thinking and my philosophy on what leadership is, the mechanics of it, the fundamentals and the mechanics of it. And it was, I, I would think, uh, written you know, by an engineer who English is my second language, not my first. So it was not Shakespearean by any means. But it got some pretty good reviews and it got some attention. And more importantly, my daughters, who were very young at the time, thought this was really cool. Daddy wrote a book and they were taking it to school and they thought it was really cool and, and sort of motivated them uh, from an education uh. standpoint. And I thought, well, that was really cool. I never intended to write a second. But then I, through my experiences, I, I learned and I, I then published the second one, which was about um, how to lead teams to do breakthrough things, to achieve breakthrough things. And that became the legacy leader drives breakthrough thinking. Um, 
And that book was about how do you apply these leadership fundamentals to get teams to do incredible things. That led to a, to a book called The Leader's Lobotomy, which was, uh, by the way, as you climb the corporate ladder or whatever ladder or whatever journey you're on leader, don't forget some of the fundamental principles you learn. And it seemed to me that as leaders were climbing the ladder, they were forgetting, hence the title The Leader's Lobotomy, that they were forgetting some things. I want to stop you on that and, and have you expand a little bit further. A lot of people that watch this and listen to this are very, you know, have excelled greatly in their careers. And I suspect yeah. could be at that a little bit of that realm. So how do you, once you get to become, you know, the leader, you're like, oh man, look at me, I'm up here. I'm in yeah. charge. You know, how do you stay on track yourself? Because there are fewer, you don't really have as many colleagues. So what are sort of the best practices for that? Well, you first remember that you're not all that. Um, you got to stay. You got to stay humble, and that's that's sometimes hard for leaders to do, myself included. And you start to think that you know uh, that, that you're that you really are God's gift, um, and, and you have to remember that you're not that that you're there to serve. And so the idea of servant leadership is becomes really important. And humble leadership, confident but humble, and and that you're there to to serve your team. Always remember that, and that and that your needs are second, maybe third or fourth to those of the team, the organization, and those that you are privileged to lead. And so I think you you fundamentally start with that. Second, you start with the fact that leadership isn't complicated. Applying the principles on a daily basis is, but you just gotta stay, you gotta stay true to, to your vision, your mission, your direction, and ultimately to what your legacy is, because if you let that drive your daily behaviors, then you'll behave in a particular way, right? Yeah. Um, so you some basic principles. No, I want to talk, talk about, you know, you, so when you're in the Air Force, you have a lot of people around, you probably have a lot of people, even if you're elevated, there's a lot of people that are maybe in your same position, same thing when you're rising up through the ranks, but then when you're um, running a company in a more of a president type role, how do you find colleagues, comrades, people to relate to, people to bounce ideas off of when everyone works for you? Well, and again, they don't work for you. They work with you and around you. I'm and, just and saying, listen, how do you find, but, like, but I hear, you know what I mean? It. You can't invite your employee. You can't, like, complain no. to your employees or you, you see what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. And, and fortunately, if you, if you do look around, right, you will find, uh, and I was fortunate to always have around me a set of colleagues, uh, individuals that were probably suffering through the same kinds of things that I was suffering through and could and can commiserate with me and could could sympathize with me and, and empathize with what I was going through and I and I with, with what they were going through. Um, and you have to have those individuals, you know, around you and you have to seek them out. And, and you know, when we get into the whole second shot, we'll get back to that point yeah. about yeah. how do you make sure that you tap into that network, to that, to that, to that group that can help you to those few, because you're not going to have dozens and dozens of people that can do that for you, but you're going to have to have a few. And I'm lucky that I do have a few that I can call on to say, hey, I'm dealing with this. What do you think? And, and I considered this. And what do you think? And, and then be willing to, this is where the humble part comes in, listen to assume and start with the assumption that you don't have all the answers so that your answer may not be the perfect one. And then be open to the possibility that what you're thinking or how you're thinking about something isn't quite maybe the best way to think about it. Or, and then modify your position as necessary. So, you know, don't stay stubborn on a position. Don't stay uh, focused on your way or the highway, mm -hmm. but rather be open to 
to a variety of th- a diversity of thinking, right? Um, which is the most beautiful thing that I can tell a leader is be be really that intellectually curious person that says, okay, so what do you think? What do you think? And then when you have all those great insights and opinions from others, filter that through your brain and come up with what you think is the best approach. But do that with an informed set of of opinions, right? Not with your own sin, single you know minded opinion. And I find when you do that, then you're probably going to make better sound decisions and you're going to have less stress in your life. Right, right. Tony, before we did this interview, we had a long conversation on the phone. We, I mean, we talked about all kinds of stuff. When, and we were talking about the second, you know, sort of the idea of second shot and, and what we delve into. When, I, when we talk about second shots, what comes to mind for you in terms of what you want to impart upon everybody? I will tell you that when I thought about it and you first introduced the idea to me, I was, I was, I was just sort of thrilled by, by hmm, how many times I've had, I've had to take a second shot, yeah. right? And, and I think probably everybody listening can, can relate this personally, right? They, they've, either, they've either had to take a second shot at something because life threw a curveball at them, something happened, some, God forbid, some catastrophic event, uh, a, a death in the family caused them to have to take a different uh, path than they thought they might, or, or a job action. I mean, most people now have dealt with one or numerous job actions where their jobs are affected, right? And they found themselves sort of trying to decide and pivoting where to go. And, and that's what you know, we refer to as taking that second shot. How do you prepare for that? You know, how do you allow yourself to go through the emotion of that and the psychological impact of that? Um, and so forth. And, and we can, and I've thought a lot about since you and I started this discussion about that. And I thought, wow, you know, you, you go through a, through a psychological, you have to give yourself that time to go through that emotional part of, say you lost your job or your job was eliminated or there was a transition or something. And you have to give yourself a chance to go through that human emotion of dealing with that, right? But then you got to sort of bounce out of that and say, okay, now what? Now what? I mean, how do, how do you, I go about you know, methodically and thoughtfully thinking about what's next. And then I thought, why do we wait for a catastrophic event? Why do we wait for something to come our way? Why do we wait for that curveball? Why is it that it takes something like that before we are causing a second shot to happen in our lives, right? And why not be more proactive? Because I will tell you that as I thought about it more and more since you and I started the discussion, I thought the actions you have to take in order to create a second shot for yourself, when it's not necessary necessarily, but the actions you have to take to create that second shot, to enable yourself to take that second shot, I came up with the same actions that it would take if you're forced to take a second shot. <laughs> right. Right? right. And I thought, shoot, why, why do I wait? Why do we procrastinate and wait until life says, or you have to now take a second shot and you go through the stress and the pressure of losing a job or something else happened. And now you, you know, all that emotion is sort of blocking your, your clearest thinking. Why not prepare for a second shot and constantly be in search of a second shot, right? Or at least being ready for a second shot mm-hmm. and taking those actions, which are, you know, thinking thoughtfully about and, and thor- thoroughly through what is it you want to be doing? Where do you want to be when the journey is up? What do you want to, you know, that whole idea of looking back and saying how you want to have lived your life, right? I know that sounds really philosophical and, you know, who has time for that? Well, who doesn't? you got to sit down and think about what is it you want to accomplish with those few years that we have on this earth. 
what lessons do you want to learn from yesterday so you don't commit the same mistakes tomorrow? Boy, I've got a long list of mistakes that I've made that I can hopefully not try to repeat this. <laughs> right? So so I guess what, what you and I talked about it was, okay, so what about that? Why do we wait for a second shot? Why don't we just create the opportunity? Yeah. And, and Tony, we saw that happen during the pandemic. So many people are like, oh my gosh, I'd wanted to do, you know, okay, well, I, I lost my job. I was forced out of my job and I'd been wanting to do my own business for who knows how right. long. I wanted to do a business right. about cheese boards. And now I finally started making cheese boards. And it's like, well, if that was your lifelong dream, why did you wait to get fired? You know, I, and so, so I think it's sort of like this overall, this idea of really evaluating where we are before, you know, <laughs> the ax comes and we're, you know, we're forced out of a situation and kind of scrambling to figure it out. I really think this is a great concept to think about. And it, I also wanted to go through some of your other, kind of do like a, a quick shot at some of your other leadership lessons that you go through in the book, but I think that we can get some knowledge from today on this as well. And one of them is to become a lifelong learner. And this is a really a mindset shift because so many of us think, you know, we finish college, we go into our position, then, then we can just kind of coast. <laughs> Explain yeah. how coasting could be detrimental. Oh, listen, coasting is, is the, uh, the worst thing you can do, right? You have to because coasting implies that you're doing nothing, that you're not you're not you're not putting effort into it. And we all know that you know that's that's the recipe for failure. So so you don't want to coast. You don't want to rest on your laurels, if you will. You don't want to just say, okay, well, I've got I've done what I want. Check, I'm done. I mean, I think I think. And so for me, this, this idea of being a lifelong learner says, people say, well, does that mean I have to go get a PhD? Well, no. If you want to, great. If you can, great. Do it if that's what you want to do. But I'm not necessarily talking about just a formal education. I'm talking about being a student of life, of being, a stu being informed. Look, if you, if you happen to watch one news network or another, or just exclusively one or the other, I'm sorry, but you're not well informed. For right? Sure, today. The reality of today's world is that if you really want to be well informed, you're going to have to listen to the CNNs and the Fox News. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to listen to one or the other. You're going to have to listen to both if you really truly want to be have the full story and, and sort of the sort you know the complete story. And and in fact, you have to listen to BBC News if you really want to be or, or other news sources internationally. And so my point about being a lifelong learner is be informed. Um, you know, I joke around when I talk to audiences about this idea, saying, look. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room, and I never have that problem. <laughs> but <laughs> for God's sakes, don't be the dumbest person in the room, right? You, there's no excuse for being, you know, that person. Sure. So, informed, uh, continue to learn, read, um, talk to people that that you find interesting. With the access that we have today, at our fingertips, you know, the the anything you want to know, it's it's one search away. One search away, I, I find myself, and I'm a tinker. I like to fix anything that's broken, and rather than call a mechanic until it's until it's my last resort. <laughs> and so, but but here's the thing: I can YouTube anything about anything, and it'll tell me how to fix it with a video step by step. Right. So this idea of being a lifelong learner to me is just that: it's continue to be informed. And by the way, it makes you a more interesting person. Right? Oh my gosh, you took the words out of my mouth. It's always interesting to meet somebody who's always reading a book or watching a video or listening to a podcast or even watching a documentary. Those people are always, you know, listen. They're fun at work, but they're fun at parties. So yes, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, the, the other topic I wanted you to speak on is building your differentiators. How does somebody set themselves? apart and how do you figure out what your differentiators are 
you know, and by the way, everybody says, you know, so do I have them? Yes, you do. Uh, the question is, you know, have you figured them out? Have you figured out what is uniquely special about you? Uh, I, I, I kind of discovered this concept when, when I was working with companies and still work with companies that are trying to differentiate themselves in their markets to their clients. Whether you're a software development company or, or whether whatever you do, in the competitive world that we live in today, there's a good chance that there's somebody else in that same business doing similar things to you, right? And so that's the definition of a commodity, right? And so you don't wanna be a commodity because if you're a commodity, it just leads to the cheapest price, right? When we go buy a pencil these days, I, I don't go for a brand name of a pencil. I go for a number two lead pencil and I buy the cheapest right? That's the purest definition of a commodity. And what you don't want to be is a commodity. Just like no company wants to be a commodity. They'd rather be a uniquely positioned and, and a company that provides a unique value proposition. So the question you have to ask yourself is, what is your unique value proposition? What is so special about you? How is it, how is your CV, your resume, your LinkedIn profile, how is it going to get the attention of whomever it is you're trying to get the attention of, whether it's clients or recruiters or hiring managers, what is it about you that is going to cause someone like me or someone like you, Jenny, to say, hmm, I need to know more about that person. Mm -hmm. right? So if you haven't thought about, given thought about what is my differentiator, what makes me uniquely special, I can first encourage you with this. There's something that makes you uniquely special. Don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, there's something unique about me. Tony, then, then I'm going to put you on the spot with this. What are your differentiators. I, I think I have my idea of what yours might be, but why don't you tell me? I I think, look, as a, as a Christian man, I, I don't think there are accidents, and I think God sort of provides us with the tools, and then we're supposed to use them somehow to advance uh, his cause, his kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I, I think in my case, I've been, I've been blessed with uh, maybe one thing that people often are afraid of, speaking in public public forums. Yep. That's yep. the biggest fear, right? Well, I don't have that fear. I have the butterflies and I get nervous, but but I don't have fear. In fact, I enjoy it because I have a bit of a teaching spirit, right? And I want to I want to impart whatever I can. And I want to the second thing that makes me I think pretty uh I wouldn't say unique, but but maybe a little different is intellectual curiosity. I'd say if I've got I'm not great at many things, but I'm pretty good at that. I'm pretty intellectually curious. I'm constantly asking and want to learn more. And I'm curious. And that curiosity has led me to be open to ideas, suggestions, different approaches. Uh, I've benefited from traveling the world in the companies that I've been with, particularly at Ansel Healthcare. I mean, I've seen every corner and region. I've been to places and I feel so fortunate and blessed to have done that. But I think I'm a better person today. And in fact, I think I'm probably a better leader today because of that exposure, that intellectual curiosity, that allowing myself to not go to a, a remote part of Malaysia and look out for the for the McDonald's, right? right? <laughs> yeah. so I want to experience the local fare. I really want to understand the culture and want to immerse myself in, and understand it. And you come out of that a smarter person and a more culturally intelligent person and i think it makes you more interesting person. but i believe that yeah i think that's great and it's tony it's interesting i was wondering if you were going to say i was wondering if you were going to say you know having 
been raised in Puerto Rico and now coming here and having English be a second language. And I know that that's the case, obviously, for so many Americans, so many you know from from all over the world, people yeah. who come here. Um, so I find it interesting that you didn't list that as a differentiator. When I look at the leaders of companies, um, Puerto Rican American is not typically the background, right? No. Sadly, there. Look, not to make any political statements or, or anything like that, but there, there are sadly too few Latinos and Latinas, you know, being represented in positions of, of higher authority and power within its within whether whether it's in business or whether it's in our government, right? And, and, and we we know that's the harsh reality of today. It's getting better, and organizations like the Latino Corporate Direction Association and others are making a, a huge impact on on moving the needle forward and having that representation, but. How does that really start? Well, it starts with individuals. It starts with each of us building on our educational understanding and becoming better prepared. And, and some of those other pitfalls that I talk about in, in one of the presentations that I give about learning from the School of Hard Knocks of how do you network appropriately and how do you build that differentiator we just finished talking about? And how do you position yourself uh, to either build a great business or to rise in business, or to serve in, in the military, or to serve in public office. But but we need more of that. We need people to step up, especially today, as, as we know, uh, everything that's going on. Yeah, Tony, what I'm hearing you say is is it's not, uh, you're not necessarily being critical of, well, you're not being critical of anybody, but, but you're saying you put the onus on the person who's trying to rise up through the ranks, the person who, to even say as a differentiator, yeah, you know what, when I came here, I didn't speak English, but now I do. And what a mindset that is to, um, you know, that that to me is like that growth mindset component or that, that always, you know, forever learner component of somebody who can come to a new country as a teenager, become educated, learn the language, hold true to their, um, you know, their, the culture they had before, and then really become valuable to a company. So I think that's a great encouragement for people who are thinking, sure. man, you know what, there's not enough diversity and nobody's hiring me. How, if somebody's feeling in that mode, like that, that maybe they're, you know, there's, there's low, no Latinas, you know, CEOs. Can you help to shift the mindset of, well, why not you then? I, I look, I think it's, it's a combination of a few things in my mind, right? I mean, first, for those of us who have been fortunate and blessed to, to rise to certain levels, organizationally and in our communities or whatever, then it's incumbent upon me and us to then enable that next generation, right? To, to bring not one, not two, but as many as you can along with you. So, so you, you, you know, we all play a role in but that. But they have to be on, good, right? Well, yes, and so that—that's so. My role is to enable others, right? Mm -hmm. Their role is to continue to enable themselves, right? To prepare themselves, to to work, to put the to put the work that it takes. So each of us has a role, depending on what we are in that stage in our journey, uh, to to enable others and to enable ourselves, right? But but we cannot have. I read something today that reminded me so much of something that I've heard before, but it's always a good reminder, right? Where people say. You know the, the crab factor. You've heard about the crab factor, where where they say you know, take a pot of of, of yes. water and, and you put the crabs in it, and then you, you start to boil the crabs, and they get agitated and they start moving around and they start to climb on each other to try to get out of the pot, and eventually one makes it to the top, and instead of all the other crabs saying, "Yeah, go, Jimmy, go, 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 get us some help, go turn the go go turn the flame off, go do something," no, those other crabs grab that crab and pull them back down, and then they all drown and die, and we have a feast. Right, so we can't be crabbing on each other. We have to be enabling and supporting each other. 
Uh, and, and I don't mean that as a Latino thing. I mean that as a human thing, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh-huh. If we all start to do that and enable each other and are able to start really talking with each other rather than at each other, um, I think the world will be a gentler, better, smarter place. Unfortunately, that's not the dynamic we're in today, which means we all have to start doing our part. And that starts with an individual journey. That's why I wrote the book, The Leader in the Mirror. Because I I said, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and identify your strengths, your weaknesses, your areas of of opportunity, there's nobody who needs to tell you that. You're a smart, intelligent person. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I living up to the standards of being a courageous, loyal, honest, uh, you know, man man or woman of integrity kind of leader? And if I'm not, how do I hold myself accountable to a higher standard? So you do, I do believe that it starts with that introspective look and with you being accountable for yourself. Yeah. That doesn't mean we don't need help. That doesn't mean we don't seek help. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking for help. You should, and we all need it. But you got to start the journey on your own. You've got to be willing to put in the hard work yourself. Tony Lopez, Anthony Lopez, as his mama named him originally, and she would like us to name him today. Thank you for the conversation. I so enjoyed learning from you, and I was hanging on to every word there at the end and taking notes as well. So thank you so much for the time. I sincerely appreciate it, and I know some of you are going to want to follow up, so I'll give his website as well. It is LegacyLeader.net, and you can also find him by searching Anthony Lopez on LinkedIn if you want to hit him up. So there you go. I just put it out there for you. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. Great to chat with you. Be well. Take care. You too. All right, everybody. If you are enjoying the Second Shot podcast, don't forget you can check us out on Morning After in the Dallas market every Thursday from 10 to 11 a.m. And then, of course, you got the full episodes here and we will regroup with the full team in the next couple episodes. We'll talk to you soon.